Well, yesterday was the seven, seven year anniversary of my wife and I going on our first date. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah, seven years. Uh, yeah. And, you know, when you go on a first date with somebody, you get to know them a little bit, you find out things about them, and that's all good. Some things you need to know beforehand, right? I mean, uh, for one, we went to Chipotle, and that was important to know that my wife now, my girlfriend then, not my girlfriend then, that <laughs> took a while. Never mind, different story. But the girl I asked out on a date, you know, it's good to know she likes Chipotle, good to know all that stuff, you know. Uh, but there were some things that were kind of just preferences that I learned about her, right? What her favorite food was, uh, where she liked to eat, what her kind of favorite coffee order was. Those are preference things, and some of those things change over time. But then there are some things I learned at the beginning that are not so much preferences, but more like non-negotiable, like if you're going to be with Alexandra, you're not going to do these things, or you have to do these things. And some of those actually did have to do with food, because she's actually allergic to a couple things. And some of the stuff she said she was allergic to, she said she was allergic to, like gluten. She said she was allergic to gluten, but the truth is she wasn't actually allergic to gluten. She thought she was allergic to gluten. And, you know, she had a little bit of gluten and realized, hey, I'm not actually allergic to gluten, right? So there's things like that. And then there's things like cashews and walnuts and shrimp and lobster, things like that, that she is so allergic to that she's actually had to go to the hospital a few times. Even since we started dating a couple of times, she had to go to the hospital for eating cashews when she didn't know there was cashews in something, right? She has the anaphylaxis, that the whole reaction takes place. Uh, so she's very allergic. So there are things that I learned that like, okay, these are her preferences. And then there are things that I learned that are like, it's not just a preference. This is a, this is a life or death. This is a, you know, we're not going to eat cashews, even though I love cashews. Like, you know, I really love cashews, like cashews that are roasted with a little bit of like salt on them with a little bit of oil. Like that is really good. Or you go the other direction, you get like a little bit of that brown sugar kind of malt kind of taste on a, a cashew. That's really good. Sorry, Alexandra. No, you never had that before, but those are really good. So I had to give those things up you know, when I started dating her, things like that. Uh, so I bring all this up to say, if there's something that's really, really important to somebody, you, if you care about that person, you should make it a big deal, right? If it's really important. And some people will say, hey, this is kind of important to me, and this is really, really important to me. As we study the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is describing what's important for disciples to do, right? There are some things that are put in here that are not even just suggestions, but that are put lightly, and there are other things that are emphasized and re-emphasized and emphasized with a threat, right? That's the kind of you know, threat I received when I started dating Alexandra. Like, hey, I can't have this because if I have this, I'll go to the hospital, and if I have this too bad, I'll have such a bad reaction, it's possible that I could die, right? So it's not just a warning. It's a warning attached with all these other warnings, okay? Jesus is going to say that when it comes to the topic we've been discussing this morning. Everything from the scripture reading to the songs we've been singing, we've been talking about forgiveness and God's forgiveness, and more importantly for us, the forgiveness that Christians are supposed to show towards other people. And what Jesus says is very important. He's going to emphasize and re-emphasize how important forgiveness is to him. How important it is that you forgive the people in your life. He emphasizes it by repeating it. And we see that right here in Matthew chapter six. So open up your Bible. Look at Matthew chapter six with me. Right after the Lord's prayer, uh, you think he's gonna change subjects and not talk about prayer anymore and talk about another area. He'll do that in the next text. We'll look at next week. 
But remember, he's been saying, don't pray like this, but pray like that. And he's gonna, he gave the Lord's Prayer. Before that, he says, hey, don't give like this hypocritically. Give like this unhypocritically. Don't pray like that publicly and just so everyone can hear you. Don't pray just like that. Pray in the secret place because God hears you there too. So he's been saying a lot of do's and don'ts, right? Next week, he's going to say when it comes to fasting, which means not eating for religious purposes, don't fast like this, but you should fast like that. We're not even getting to fasting yet. We're still talking about prayer. So we're in this subsection. A lot of people don't even talk very much about these two verses because it's like a little addition to the Lord's Prayer at, at the very end. And notice, of all the things that Jesus told us we should pray for, what's the one thing he wanted to double down on? What's the one thing he re-emphasizes and gives us more explanation about? Do you see what it is? Matthew chapter 6, look at verse 14. It's the, the command to forgive and the prayer of forgiveness, right? In verse 12, he says, forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. But in verse 14, Jesus goes back and says, let me just explain this even further. Let me emphasize the point. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. Okay, Which that sounds exactly, it's almost like repeating what he said in verse 12. Because in verse 12, he said, God, please forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. The interesting thing there is Jesus is saying, ask God to forgive you for the individual sins that you commit, like your debt like your sins, as we've forgiven not other sins, but our debtors. So it's like our job is to forgive not just the person for what they did, but to forgive the person, the debtor, right? Not just what they did, but to forgive them. Then he says here in verse 14, well, if you forgive others, they're trespasses. So we're talking about both. Our forgiveness to others shouldn't just be, hey, I'm just accepting you. Like I'm going to not think about what you did or whatever. That's part of it. That's bringing back the debtor, but it's also you should forgive people for their individual transgressions. So like if someone does something wrong and comes up to you and says, hey, I'm sorry, I sinned against you in this way. Will you forgive me for that? You can't say, I'll forgive you in general, but I won't forgive you for that. Because he says here, you're forgiving people their trespasses against you. So he says, if you forgive, well, then your father will forgive you. But verse 15 but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. It's almost like a, it's a little bit of a threat or a warning. It's, it's, a, it's definitely a warning. The Lord's Prayer, he says, ask God to forgive you for when you, for when you sin against him. Because you, you store up a debt with God, right? Don't we, we all sin and, you know, you got to ask God for forgiveness. But then he gives a warning. But just remember, if you won't forgive other people, God's not going to listen to that prayer of yours. God's not even listening when you say, hey, God, please forgive me for this. If you at the same time are holding other people hostage in your mind and saying, I will not forgive them. I will not forgive them. Yes, they ask for forgiveness, but I will not forgive that person. Like that's what Jesus is saying. It's something that I would not have come up with. It's something that I would not have logicked my way to, but we find it right here in scripture. And like many things we find in scripture, we got to understand what Jesus is actually saying and then say, okay, what does this look like for us to live this out? I mean, the bottom line is, if you're a Christian, you need to forgive other people. That's the, that's the sermon, right? You already kind of knew that by reading this. If you're a Christian, right, you better forgive others. And if you say you're a Christian, but you say, I don't forgive people, well, then Jesus says, you're not a Christian. Or, to put it more specifically, God does not forgive you, your trespasses. That's even you know, worse than not being called a Christian. Say, like God doesn't forgive you, right? 
but it's one and the same. If you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to be a disciple of his, Jesus says, okay, you are forgiven by God this great debt. We read it in the scripture reading. Now your responsibility when others sin against you is that you would forgive them, that you would release the debt. That is a very hard thing. Talking about forgiveness is a great sermon because it's like, look how much God forgives us. The back half of the sermon to say, but remember that puts you in God's debt and God expects you and me to forgive one another when we sin against one another, right? That is what God calls us to. That's what God calls all disciples to. So, I mean, yeah, there's a lot here and, you know, these verses are very simple. And I told you, a lot of people skip over these verses. A lot of people, when they preach this, they'll preach all about verse 12 and then they'll kind of include verse 14 and 15 and verse 12. And then once they get to verse 13, the end of the prayer, they go on to fasting, right? I wanted to take this week to just talk about these two verses that are two sides of one coin. It's a very simple truth, right? That's contained in these verses. You probably understand it already. But the point is, look, if, if you're a forgiven person by God, if you say, yes, God forgives me for my sin, I go to God, well, then you better be forgiving other people when they wrong you. And when they ask for forgiveness from you, you better grant it because that's kind of the whole deal here. Like that's the deal. Not my deal with you, right? As your pastor, student, that's not my deal with you. That's God's deal with you. I'm not holding you to it. God's holding you to it. If that makes sense. It's not something I made up. It's not my rule. This is God's rule for his disciples, okay? So from the authority of Jesus, he's saying you better be a forgiving person. So two things. At the top of your page, you notice we're doing points a little bit differently today. It's because we're not going to craft this whole sermon about this simple statement. It's, it's such a simple statement. I just want you to understand what each one of these verses means, and then we're going to look at what the whole Bible says. So usually we look at you know verse by verse. Now I'm going to say, here's what these verses mean, and now let's take these verses and launch into what does the rest of the Bible say about forgiveness? I think it will help us really do what this says. So first of all, verse 14, you can kind of summarize it this way forgiven people are forgiving people. Okay, very simple. It's the simplest way I could put it. Forgiven people are forgiving people. So if you've been forgiven, like who's the one who does the forgiving there? If you're forgiven by God, well then you need to be a forgiving person, actively saying, I will forgive this brother. I will forgive this sister. I will forgive this mom. I'll forgive this dad. I will forgive this person in my school. I will forgive this person. If you're a forgiven person, you need to become a forgiving person. That's kind of just the, the baseline thing here. And a lot of us read this and say, okay, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your father will also forgive you. Some of us read that and think, okay, is, is Jesus saying, here's a way that you can earn God's forgiveness. If you try to forgive the people in your life, then God will, all of a sudden, he'll want to listen to you now and he'll want to forgive you now. Okay. I would say, I don't think that's what he's saying because the rest of the Bible says things like this. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, by grace you are saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. It's not as a result of works so that no one may boast. Okay, so can you claim, I got forgiveness from God. How did I get it? Well, because I became a forgiving person because I chose to forgive people in my life. No, that's not how you're forgiven the first time. You're forgiven the first time by going to God right? That's the idea. We're forgiven by God, not because of what we do, but verse 15 is pretty clear. If you don't forgive, then you're not forgiven. So the second thing, verse 15 says, unforgiving people are unforgiven people. I know these, these, it's kind of tricky, but they're, I'm trying to make it as simple as you can. You could, almost, you could memorize those. Those are pretty simple, right? If you're 
a forgiven person, then you better be a forgiving person. Oh, and by the way, if you're an unforgiving person, so we're working backwards now, now we're looking at your life. So, you know, forgiven and unforgiven, that's your status. Forgiving and unforgiving is your actions, okay? So point in verse 14 is, if your status is, I'm a forgiven person by God, then what should your life look like? Well, then your life should look like forgiving. And now verse 15 goes backwards and says, okay, what does your life look like? Are you an unforgiving person? Well, you know what that means? You can't claim, the only thing that doesn't work here, which is where a lot of us want to live, is I want to be an unforgiving person, but I want to be a forgiven person. That is not one of the options Jesus gives you. He does not say you can hold your grudges, you can be mad at people, you can hold on to your anger towards your parents because you think you're misunderstood. He doesn't say you can hold on to your anger towards people in your small He does not say you can do that and at the same time claim, yes, God forgives me. It's one or the other. Either you're going to let that stuff go and enjoy God's forgiveness or you're going to hang on to that stuff. And for many of you, some of you, like that might be the reason you're not a Christian. I bring that up sometimes because different sermons lead us different places, right? And sometimes I want to remind you that if you're not a Christian here and you know the gospel and you grew up at this church, but you refuse to bend the knee to Jesus, well, then maybe there's a lot of reasons for that. And sometimes we say, oh, it might be because of some sin you got in your life. Maybe it's because you don't want to give something up. Maybe it's you don't want to give up some pursuit in your life or some goal in your life or some popularity. Maybe it's you don't want to give up friends in your life. That all could be true. But I believe this is true too. Some of us don't want to become Christians. And maybe we want to, but we, we refuse to submit to God because of this issue right here. Because you don't want to forgive. Because there's people that have wronged you and you say, I, I, but I don't want to forgive them. If becoming a Christian means I need to forgive them, then I'm out. I don't want it. I want to kind of try to prove to you this morning why that's not a good idea and why it's a good idea for all of us to become forgiving people, even if you're not one right now. So that's what the verse says. Very clear. Uh, that's it, right? That's the sermon. Okay. So now I want to say, well, what does the rest of the scripture say about forgiveness? Because we're even throwing around this word forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. What are we even talking about? What does that mean? Some of us this morning have wrong views of forgiveness that the Bible is going to kind of come along and correct. So be willing to let the Bible correct your preconceived notions about forgiveness this morning. If the scriptures do that, be willing to listen to that, okay? So here's what we want to do. First of all, we want to study what the Bible says about this. So point number one, I want to study and cherish biblical forgiveness. So let's study what the Bible says about forgiveness, and then in the end, we really want to cherish forgiveness because this is probably the sweetest thing about being a Christian is that your sins are forgiven before God. Like this is, of all the things, we say, what's the best part about being a Christian? It's probably this, that you know that you're fine before God, that you don't get concerned that maybe you're not in with God. Like, this is one of the best parts about being a Christian is that you can live boldly and confidently knowing that God has forgiven your sins. One of the best parts about being a Christian. But here's what I'm gonna do. The Bible talks about forgiveness and it uses a lot of different images to describe forgiveness. There's five images from the Bible. There's probably more, but the five ones that stood out to me as I studied it this week, the five images of forgiveness in the Bible. The first one is the word that we're studying right now in Matthew 6, which it says forgive others their trespasses. We also see in verse 12, forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. This word, what it technically means is to release. So the first image of forgiveness in the Bible is that of 
letting go or releasing. Usually it has to do with a debt. So this is a big one. It's in Matthew 18, the, the verse we read earlier in worship. It's also right here in Matthew chapter 6, the idea of releasing a debt. That's one of the most common words in the New Testament for forgiveness. But I want you to picture that image, right? Holding on is the opposite of letting go. Forgiveness is pictured like just you got that grudge, you got that bitterness, you got that whatever. Now, let it go, okay? That's how God deals with your sins. Think about it. All these passages have really been talking about God and our forgiveness. So what we're going to learn about forgiveness, primarily we learn it from passages that talk about God's forgiveness, right? That's why we cherish it. So the first idea is letting go or releasing a debt, okay? Second image, also very powerful, is that of removing or putting away, right? That's another image that the Bible gives about forgiveness. Listen to this. This is uh, Psalm chapter 103, verse 12. It talks about God's forgiveness for us. He says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. So that's another image and picture of forgiveness. It's like God takes you and your sin and he separates the two of you. Because when you sin, it's like you're intertwined with your sin. And to be forgiven means that God takes the sin off you. He takes it away from you. It's put away. Another image the same, same idea of putting away, another passage that talks about this is Matthew chapter, or not Matthew, Micah chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. Micah 7, 18 and 19, it's the end of the book of Micah, where you, all this sin is going on in this country of Israel. And what does God say at the end? He says, who's God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of your inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. So he's like stomping on the sin. And he'll cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. That's Micah 7, 19. He casts our sins into the depths of the sea. So this image of having your sins separated from you is another image of forgiveness. So think about it. When God looks at you and looks at your sin, if you're forgiven, he sees you separately. He's taken the sin away from you. Not only does he release the debt, that's one image. That's image number one. Image number two is that he puts it away. He removes the sin from you. That's a good way to learn about forgiveness. The third is another important one. It's the idea that God covers over your sin. So he covers or he conceals or he hides your sin. That's another way that God talks about forgiving sins. It's an image, right? It's a, it's a metaphor. The reality is God forgives our sin, right? But what's, what's the image and metaphor? Well, it's that he covers it. Here's a verse about covering sin. I mean, actually, the whole book of Leviticus, when it talks about your sin being atoned for, that's the same image. It's like it's, it's covered, right? Uh, but this one, I think, might be more helpful. Psalm 85, verse 2, talks about God. It says, you forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin, right? So we understand that image, right? It's like there's all this, uh, you know, it's, it's like what you do you need to clean your room. You don't clean your room. You just like put it in a, a drawer, right? You cover it. You, you put it all away, right? So now it looks clean, right? But it's not like clean, clean, but it's, it's put away. The idea of covering is like it's no longer in sight. It's covered. It's, it's been dealt with. So all these images are kind of like imperfect ways to just describe how God deals with our sin, but they're images that help us, right? So image number three is covering, okay? Image number four in the Bible is that of cleansing, right? That might be one of the most famous ones, right? It's like God washes the sin away. He, he washes it out. 
Uh, Here's some verses for you. Psalm 51, verse 2. David prays after he sinned in a big way. He asked God, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Right? So how is forgiveness pictured in the Old Testament? It's by cleansing. Even in the New Testament, 1 John 1, 9 says, we're cleansed from all unrighteousness. Those are two verses. The third verse for you, uh, this might be the most famous, Isaiah 1, 18. When God talks about forgiveness, here's what he says. Come now, let's reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they shall become like wool. So what does God do with our sin? He cleanses it. He removes it. He covers it. He puts it away. He releases the debt. Right? Those are four images. Fifth image, uh, one of the best ones, is God speaks of no longer remembering your sin. It's not remembered. It's forgotten about. Okay? That's an image because can God ever forget anything? No, he can't. Right? So it's not literally saying God you know, scrubs it from his, his you know, brain bank. or It's not like that. It's like it's, he can't forget anything. God never forgets everything, anything, okay? But he talks about forgiveness in those terms. It's like I'm forgetting it. It's like it's not remembered anymore. Here's two verses on that from the Old Testament. Jeremiah 31, 34, God says, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more, right? That's what it's like to be forgiven. It's like God does not remember your sins. He deals with you like it didn't happen, Ezekiel 36, or not Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel 33, 16, he says, none of the sins that he has committed, it's talking about a forgiven person, none of the sins that he has committed shall be remembered against him. So those are just two parts in the prophets where when God talks about forgiveness, he says, hey, it's like I don't remember it. So what are the images? Image one is letting go. Image two is putting away. Image three is covering. Image four is cleansing. Image five is is not remembering, okay? Those are five images in the Bible that kind of describe forgiveness. So hopefully now you get a better picture of what God does with sin. When we're talking about forgiveness, that's what we mean. And by the way, all of this has been in terms of you and God, you and God, right? Because when it comes to sin and when it comes to wrongdoing, who do you sin against, right? That's a complicated question, right? Because you sin against, it could be against another person. It could be, what if nobody else is there, right? Then is it still sin? Well, maybe you included someone in your sin, or perhaps, well, not perhaps, every time, it's all before God. So remember, all sin, when we're talking about forgiveness and God, every sin, every falling short we ever do is always right in God's face. It's always before God. So who do we get forgiveness from? We get forgiveness from God. A couple verses on that. Psalm 51 verse 4 says, against you, God, and you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight? So David says, when I think about sin, it's like it, it happened right in front of God's face and he's the one that matters most. And even the ones, the sins that nobody knows, those are still right in God's sight. Right? So remember, all of our sin is right before God. And frankly, he's the only one that can ultimately grant you complete and ultimate forgiveness. It's, it's only God. We see this in the gospel of Mark. We're about to start reading it in the DBR this week. But in Mark chapter 2, when Jesus starts telling people, your sins are forgiven, the Jewish people kind of react weird to that because they say, only God can forgive sins. And they're right. They're right. And the whole point is Jesus is showing that he's more than just a man. He is God. But they weren't wrong to say, oh, only God forgives sins. Because that's the, that's the point. 
if all of us have sinned, it's not like I can go up to you and say, hey, you know what? All your sins, they're covered, right? I forgive you for it. It's like, you didn't do it against me, right? Like, all your sin, like, I can't do that. Nobody can do that. No Catholic priest can do that. No, no person can just do that and say, oh, I just grant you complete forgiveness. Because you didn't sin against them, right? But all your sins are before God, right? So the sin that we've been dealing with and talking about, we're talking about the sin before God. And by the way, when it comes to sin, when it comes to forgiveness, how can a person be forgiven? Like, what, what are the steps? If I say, hey, I want to be forgiven by God, what are the steps? You probably tell me, well, first of all, you probably need to talk to God, right? You, you need to tell God that you were wrong. So confessing your sin, not to a priest, not to a person, but t- to God, right? That's what I need to do first. You need to tell God that I, I did wrong. Psalm 32 says that. Psalm 32 verse 5. David says, I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Very interesting. He says, I won't cover the sin. I'll expose the sin to God, and then he will cover the sin, right? We all want sin covered, right? It's just a lot of us want to cover it ourselves and not confess it to God, right? You're going for the same end goal. You just want it not to be touched. You don't want it to be known, right? But the way to get actually forgiven is not to cover it. It's to bring it up to God, to acknowledge it before God. And then he takes care of it and he does it. But when does that happen? It happens when you acknowledge your sin to God. So my point is you won't be forgiven unless you ask for forgiveness. You won't be forgiven until you go to God and and, and plead for forgiveness, before you acknowledge your sin, if you're like, I will not acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I will not acknowledge I've done wrong. Well, then God's not going to forgive you, right? That's like obvious. It's obvious in the scriptures and it's obvious logically. It just makes sense. But when you do confess your sin and when you repent and turn around, that's when God forgives us. 1 John 1.9 says the same thing. I mentioned it before, but here's the whole verse. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When does that happen? It happens when we confess our sins, right? So just remember, when it comes to getting forgiveness, what's the first step to get forgiveness? It's confession, right? It's, it's uh, repentance. It's, it's acknowledging the wrong. It's turning from the wrong. It's asking for forgiveness. Then the forgiveness is granted, right? The, the forgiveness is not granted without the asking for forgiveness, okay? That's how it works with God, right? Very important. Biblically, it's all over the place, right? But those are just two verses for you. And then, if we're just talking about forgiveness, and we're cherishing forgiveness, uh, remember, can God just look at you and snap his fingers and say, yep, good, forgiven, done. I'm not going to worry about it. Is that how God does it? It's not how he does it. Why, why can't God just do that and say, yeah, I'm just not going to worry about it? Right? Because if you've wronged God and you've wronged people, he's a just God. He will repay every sin. And here's the problem we all stand in. If God's just and he's holy and he's righteous and he's going to repay sins, every last one of them, how on earth could you be forgiven? That's, and if you don't understand that, you're not even ready to understand the gospel. That's the beginning of understanding the good news of Jesus. You got to understand, how can I be forgiven before a holy God? It doesn't even work. It doesn't even make sense unless, unless someone comes to take the punishment for my sin. And that's the good news of what Jesus does. That's why we come to church. That's why we sing praise songs to Jesus, because that's what he did. Because you needed forgiveness, I needed forgiveness, 
And before a holy God, we could never get it. And someone had to come and take the punishment. And that was Jesus. Or you would have just taken the punishment. And I would have just taken the punishment. And we would have rightly deserved that, by the way. So don't, don't think that you don't deserve God's punishment. Right? You do. I do. We really actually do. Based on what we've done, based on what we haven't done that we should have done, we all actually do. Whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, we all deserve punishment from God because we all fall short. That's, again, really the first step before you even get to forgiveness. You recognize that. But what am I saying? I'm saying that forgiveness is only possible because of the work of Jesus. What he did made it possible for us to be forgiven. Another verse for you to write down there. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 to 26. This section, very famous, starts with a very famous phrase that says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So, Every last one of us, every group of people, whether you're Jew, Gentile, whether you're a kid who grew up in church, whether this is your first time ever stepping into church, all have sinned. All have fallen short of what God expects of us. None of us have done the right thing all the time. None of us meet God's perfect standard, okay? He starts with that, and then he says, but we are justified, forgiven, by his grace as a gift. Not through our works, but through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, a covering by his blood to be received by faith. So how do we get saved? Well, we need Jesus, but then we receive Jesus by faith. We trust that Jesus died for me. We trust that as a gift. This was to show God's righteousness, right? So God still stays righteous because in his divine forbearance, he didn't punish right away. He waited, he was patient. He had passed over former sins. He waited to punish. Like, God could have punished immediately every sin that you've ever done. You recognize that, right? But then he waits in his, it's called divine forbearance. It means he, he doesn't punish when he could punish. He's patient. He waits. That doesn't mean it doesn't matter. It doesn't even mean that he's been, he's forgiven it. It just means he's waiting. It was to show his righteousness at the present time. So now we look back on what Jesus did and we say, oh, now I see what God was doing here. So that he might be just, righteous, and the judge and the justifier. So he can be the judge and the savior of the one who has faith in Jesus. Right? So if you're a Christian, if you have faith in Jesus, God is not only the judge. Like, do you realize God has judged your sin? Like, God will judge all your sin. He, he will or he has. And that's kind of confusing, but that's the truth. He either has or he will judge every last thing I have ever done. Every last thing you have ever done. He either has in Christ or he will when you pay for it, right? No, we don't get, no one's getting away with anything, right? Even those of us who are forgiven, right? It, it's not like it didn't happen. It, it's not like it, it's just, it's dealt with and it's not on us, but it's, it, it's actually dealt with. It's really, it's not forgotten, right? The forgetting is a, is a picture of how, it wor- of how it acts, but how does it actually work, right? It works like this, that Jesus takes the sin on himself. So, I say all that, it's a lot for the first point, but I just want you to understand, this is what the Bible says about forgiveness. This is what the Bible says about God's forgiveness of you. Don't just study it, also cherish it. Just realize all those images, all those pictures, all those verses, they apply to you this morning. If you trust in Jesus and you're one of his disciples, that's the forgiveness you have. That's the, the slate wiped clean. A slate so clean, it can't even stick because not only are you forgiven, but you're also justified, which means you've been imputed with the righteousness of Christ that can't even be touched. Like you're, you're saved for sure if you're in Christ. Like that's, it's huge. Cherish it. Hopefully, 
you recognize that and you cherish it, it helps you do the next thing. Because what the Bible also calls us to is to extend that forgiveness to others. That's point number two. Extend complete forgiveness from your heart. The reason I say from your heart is because when Jesus explains forgiveness in the most detail is in Matthew 18, that story we just read at the beginning, right? About the unforgiving servant. Here's how it ends. In the last verse, it says, so also will he do to those who do not forgive their brother from your heart, from your heart. So it's not just a surface level forgiveness we're supposed to give to other people. Just like God's forgiveness of us was not just some surface level like, no, it's fine, dude, it's fine. Oh, it's fine, don't worry about it. It's, it's cool, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about real forgiveness. We're talking about the real sin has actually been thought through. The real forgiveness has actually been granted. And then there's a real reconciliation of both parties, complete forgiveness. What I'm saying to you is, as far as it depends on you, try to extend that forgiveness to people in your life. That's what Jesus is calling us to, from the heart. Not just pretending, not being fake, right? If your forgiveness is fake, remember you haven't forgiven yet. If you've said you've forgiven and then you haven't forgiven, then you haven't forgiven, right? So forgive, really, from the heart, right? It's kind of, that's common sense. That wasn't supposed to be a trick question. Like, you know, if you haven't really forgiven somebody and you know, right? Don't you know when you've let it go and released the debt? And then you know when you kind of like say I'm forgiving, but you don't really, you're still mad, right? If you're still mad, then you haven't forgiven. Don't tell me that you've forgiven that person in your small group or that person in your family. If you're still like, unforgiving. You know what I'm saying? This is simple stuff, but once you point the mirror back at yourself and say, oh man, do I do that sometimes? Oh man, I do that sometimes. I say, yeah, yeah, it's fine, it's fine, I forgive you. But then you don't and you repeat it and you're upset about it and you tell somebody how upset, like that's not forgiveness, right? It doesn't match what God says about forgiveness. So remember those five pictures of forgiveness, right? Releasing debt, putting away, covering, cleansing, not remembering, very helpful images for us to say, how can we bring those into our life when we need to forgive people, okay? So some verses for you. Releasing the debt, you know what the Bible says about this? Ephesians chapter four, verses 31 and 32. So good for us when we wanna understand what does it mean for you to forgive someone else? Paul says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Right? So you remember God's forgiveness and you say, I, I can forgive. I, I know I can, even though it's hard. I release the debt. Like letting go of all bitterness, that's, that's releasing the debt. Also, we see covering, right? Doesn't he say that right here? He says, yeah, put it all away. No, not covering, sorry, putting it away. That's the second one, right? You see it right here in verse uh, 31. He says, let it, all that bitterness, wrath, put it away from you. It's the removal, right? Same image. We see something very similar. Colossians 3.13 talks about that same image. It says uh, what Christians should be doing is bearing with one another. Do you know what it means to bear with somebody? They're annoying, but you bear with them, right? You still care about them, even though they're annoying, right? That's what Christians do. You don't say, hey, I'm leaving my small group. I'm leaving this friend group because I'm just annoyed sometimes. Christians don't do that. Mature Christians don't do that. They bear with one another, at least that's what the Bible says, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, then blowing up and getting mad. No, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving one another, that's Christian maturity, forgiving one another. As the Lord, Jesus, 
has forgiven you, so you also must forgive, right? So the Bible says. Didn't, I didn't write that. God wrote that. That's the, it's the Bible, right? Do you believe that or not? Are you going to live that or not? That's the question that all of you have to ask. I don't care if you're, you know, Miss Mature in here or Mr. Mature and you think you're, you know, so godly. If, if, if this is what Jesus says, right? Hey, leaders, guess what? This is what Jesus says for you. Hey, guess what for me? This is what Jesus says for me, right? Forgive from the heart, right? If one has a complaint against another, bear him with one another, forgiving one another. That's what God calls you to do. Releasing, putting away, covering, right? Just some verses about covering sin. How do we cover over people's sin, right? Is it by making excuses for everyone's sin? Is it by hiding people's sin? Is it by you know, covering, you know what covering for people is? You know, like it's a, an agreed upon lie, right? That's usually when people say, I'm gonna cover for you. It means, oh, I'm gonna lie. You know, hey, I'm gonna be late to work. Can you just clock in for me? I don't know how clocking in works these days on your phone, but you know, Oh, oh, I'm going to cover for you. Oh, I didn't do this assignment. Can you tell the teacher that I was with you? Oh, that's agreed upon lying, right? That's not the covering for sin that we're talking about. Maybe you're just a liar, right? That's lying. Don't lie. Don't do that, right? Uh, but cover people's sin. What does that mean? Okay, two verses for you from the book of Proverbs about this. One is Proverbs 19, verse 11, which says, Good sense makes someone slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Here's what it means to cover people's sin. Like, yeah, they sinned against me, but I'm, I'm going to not worry about it. If it's a small thing where a confrontation is not necessary, which that, I mean, that's hard. You got to make a judgment call on that. And sometimes if it's so significant, right, you shouldn't just overlook it. But most of the sin that people sin against you is small. And most of it you should overlook. Like you shouldn't pull a whole Matthew 18 and say, you know what? You know, you said something to me three years ago that made me so mad, um, you need, I, you, I, you wronged me, right? It's like, whoa, like, what did, what did we talk about last, I don't even remember what we talked about last week, right? So there is a sense in which we all would do well to say, hey, we're going to cover, we're going to overlook an offense, right? Um, dudes do this pretty well sometimes, right? It's like, oh yeah, no, we're cool. Yeah, it's great. As long as you're actually overlooking it, as long as you're not harboring bitterness in your heart, great. Another thing, Proverbs 17, verse 9, same idea of covering or overlooking. It says, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends, okay? So gossip and forgiveness are kind of incompatible. See that? I'll read it again. Whoever covers an offense that's the person that's seeking love. You cover it, you overlook it, you say, you know what, we're not gonna talk about this, right? Yes, they did wrong, but I don't, need to, I don't need to blast them. But he who repeats a matter separates close friends. These, it's, you know, this is parallelism to say this or that, right? They're opposites here, right? Uh, covering defense or separating close friends by repeating the matter, right? You know, if you're a gossip, you need to stop being a gossip, right? If you're repeating the things that people do wrong or sin, especially when it's sin, right? You're not just joking. You're not just saying, hey, you see that funny thing that person did? Aha, that was funny. He lied. Not that, but like, they did this bad thing. Did you know that? Did you hear that? Did you? That's, that's not covering an offense, right? It's the opposite. And yeah, what's the effect? It does separate close friends. So covering over. 
and then cleansing and not remembering. I, I don't know if we can find perfect parallels with all of these because the Bible doesn't give us perfect parallels for how we should forgive. I mean, cleansing, how do we do that, right? One thought that I had was, again, how does Jesus set up that parable about the unforgiving servant? He says, you know, Peter asked, how many times do I need to forgive? Do I need to forgive seven times? Maybe that's a lot, right? Oh, no, 70 times seven, like just repeatedly. The cleansing that needs to take place, right? Uh, ask a leader who's married to somebody, right? Who's, even the ones who've only been married for a little bit, right? Even you guys, right? Do you ever have, like, ma- married people get this because you're stuck together, right? Right? At least good marriages, you're, you're stuck together. You're not, you're not separating, right? So there's always, like, sin that goes back and forth. What do you have to do? Cleanse. Wipe it clean. Wipe it clean. Wipe it clean. Not holding against you. Not holding against you, Right? Uh, same thing if you got siblings. If you got a good relationship with your siblings, maybe you don't, but if you do, what happens? It's like someone wronged somebody. Cover it, cover it. Wipe it clean. Forgiveness, forgiveness. That's, that's love, right? Where there's not love is when you're not forgiving and you're, and you're harboring bitterness and you're really mad and, and you say you forgive, but then you don't really forgive. Then we got deception going on and that's a bad spiral, right? But because we're sinners and because everyone here is a sinner and because you're a sinner because I'm a sinner, that means whatever interactions we're going to have, inevitably, at some point, what's going to happen? You will be wronged. You will be sinned against. And if, you're, if your attitude is like so many Christians, it's like, if I'm sinned against, I'm leaving. I'm leaving that small group. I'm leaving that church. I, it's like, dude, do you not understand how this all works, right? <laughs> that, that's the whole, like, okay, go find another group of people that's going to sin against you. It's going to, just give it a little bit of time, Right? We just have to be forgiving. It has to be all of our attitudes. Every Christian has to say, hey, our, our attitude needs to be towards love. It needs to be towards forgiveness. How many times? Well, a lot. And then not remembering, right? Yeah. Stop thinking about it. Stop replaying it over in your head. If you said you forgave that person, then, then don't repeat it. Don't bring it up. And don't, don't even think about it anymore. If you really forgave them, right? And again, most of what we're talking about is little things, because most of the sin that takes place against you is relatively small. There are some big things, and some of you are even asking the question, wait a minute, do I need to forgive people when they don't ask me for forgiveness? That's, that's a really good question, because let me, let me answer it in two ways. Yes and no. Okay? Yes, you do, in the sense, should you? Can you forgive? Well, yes, you should, because the Bible says, let all bitterness, wrath, malice, like, if you're worked up and really, really mad about something that happened a long time ago or with someone that you, there's no possibility of interacting with, should you forgive them? The answer is, well, there is a sense in which, yes, you should forgive them, right? Because like, it's not good for you to be bitter. It's not helpful for your relationship with even God for you to, to harbor that. So just let it go, right? First image, release, let it go, okay? But I'll say no, can you forgive them if there is no repentance? Well, there can't be complete forgiveness. This, this is saying extend complete forgiveness. Can there be complete forgiveness and complete reconciliation? Well, no, that can't happen, right? In particular, if you've got one side that is not wanting to repent, that is not wanting to confess, and one side that is wanting to repent and is wanting to confess, right? Can you ever have complete perfect harmony? Well, no. So you can't have the complete forgiveness that we really want between Christians, right? Or between you and God, Right? But can you at least extend your part? The answer is, yeah, that, that is, should be your attitude, even if they don't come to you and say, hey, I, I did what was wrong. Um, you still should say, hey, I want it. Yes, I want to forgive. But can there be perfect, complete harmony? Maybe not, right? Especially when I'm talking about the big things. Because with the little things, 
it's a glory, even this proverb say, it's a glory to overlook an insult, right? Can, are you going to chase down every insult that was thrown at you, right? I don't think you can. I don't, I don't think that's wise, right? If you read it, if, think about it. If every Christian, all they did was chasing down every insult and every hurt, and all they were doing is having Matthew 18, we need to talk. We need to talk. We need to, you know what I'm talking about, right? All you'd be doing is talking, right? Because in that conversation, you probably offend that person three or four times, and then, you need to, then, then we're in a compounding spiral of a problem, right? We don't even have enough time to deal with all the problems. So what do you have to do? At some point, it's like, okay, overlook an offense. But yeah. With the big things, can there be perfect harmony where there's no repentance? No, because what did the scripture say? There has to be confession and repentance before there's complete forgiveness. Yeah, and that's about the bigger things in life, and I know there's more we could say about that. But the third thing I want to say from uh, what the scriptures say, particularly our text in verse 15, Jesus says, hey, uh, if you don't forgive, if you're unwilling to forgive, if you're like, nope, I won't, not going to do it, well, then what does that say about you? It, it likely says you're not forgiven. So if you're a Christian, if you're a disciple, this is super important. Point number three, I want you to fear the consequences for holding grudges. I want that good fear of saying, hey, I, I, you know, I don't want to hold a grudge because I, I know what happens when I hold a grudge, right? That puts me at odds with God when I hold a grudge. Even if I didn't do anything wrong in a particular situation, if I stay bitter and mad about it, all of a sudden now I'm in the wrong with God. Right? So, so don't let someone else's sin against you turn into your sin by being bitter. Right? That's a, kind of a tricky thing, but you understand what I just said? Right? You could be sinned against and you could have done nothing wrong. But in your response, you could have a bitterness that leads you into sin that now all of a sudden you and God are not tight like you were before because you were unforgiving. Right? So fear the consequences of holding grudges. There's so much in the Sermon on the Mount about this, by the way. Um, just as, as we've been going... What is Jesus, like in this sermon, there's so much about forgiveness. And some of it's hidden. You don't always see it on the surface. But like Matthew 5, 7 says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. See what I'm saying? Like if you're extending forgiveness, you're that merciful person. You'll receive mercy. Verse number nine, Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, the peacemakers, right? The reconcilers, for they shall, or, or for they shall be called sons of God. Later on in that chapter, we, we, we talked about this in the anger section, Matthew 5, uh, 22. It says, but I say to you, everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to the judgment. Whoever insults his brother, liable to the counsel. Whoever says you fool to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then, then come offer your gift. All right, so forgiveness, right? Reconciliation. Uh, drop down to... Verse 45 of this same chapter, Matthew 5, 45. He says, So that you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and the good and sends his reign on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? If you only forgive the people that are like humble and come to you and ask for forgiveness, but you won't forgive anybody who doesn't take that massive step of humility and love you, right? What does Jesus say? Well, don't even tax collectors do the same? For if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than them? Don't the Gentiles do the same? So like, what, what does he say there? Like, okay, what does God do? God forgives, he extends forgiveness. And then in chapter six, obviously, we see the Lord's prayer, asking for forgiveness. But also look at Matthew seven, verse two. He says, for with the judgment, the unforgiving spirit that you pronounce, 
you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So what's the concept, right? If you hold people to this standard, who, how will it be measured back to you? Is this just a general proverb and principle in life? I don't think so. He's talking about God. It's like, you want God to be strict with you, you be strict with others. You want God to be merciful with you, uh, adopt that mercy, that forgiveness. The quick, you want God to be quick to forgive you? Well, hey, you know what? You should be quick to forgive others. And this is hard and this takes work. And this is why sometimes in the Sermon on the Mount, we say it's not just about what you do, it's about who you are, right? You're gonna be coming virtuous as you study this and you get changed to be more like this. Yeah, James says the same thing. James 2.13, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. I'll read that again. Judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, right? Forgiveness is so key to what it means to be a Christian. And then obviously we read in Matthew 18, this, this concept of the master and the servant, and the servant was forgiven all this great amount of money. He's forgiven $10 million, but he won't forgive his fellow servant who owed him 600 bucks, right? So can you just count that as like a wash? Can you just be like, hey, we're in a forgiving mood today. I'm almost afraid to hold someone to this when I was just forgiven this much, right? And he should have been afraid. If, if he would have feared the consequences of holding a grudge, the unforgiving servant would be known as the forgiven servant, right? Because we would have said, wow, look at God's great mercy to forgive that guy. Wow. He was forgiven so much. He's a really big sinner. We would have thought what Jesus said in Luke 7, 47, right? If you love much, it's because you've been loved much, right? It's because you've been forgiven much. But he didn't fear the consequences of holding a grudge. He said, I need that 600 bucks. It's like, I know you might think you need that 600 bucks, but remember, you just owed $10 million. I would challenge you, this is how you should think about forgiveness. And when it comes especially to the forgiveness between the people in your life, if you are better at contemplating how much God has forgiven you, it makes the, the, the forgiveness you need to extend, it makes it look really small, even if it's significant, right? Because 600 bucks is significant. The sin that people have sinned against you, I'm not saying it's insignificant, right? I, I'm saying it's super significant, but it's not as big as the forgiveness that you've been granted from God. That's your whole life. That's everything you've done. All the ways you've fallen short. This image, I think Matthew 18 is the most helpful image. Um, that's why I read it at the beginning. Hopefully that concept of forgiveness is in, you know, in your mind now. But yeah, Jesus is so serious about this. And we want to be, we want to understand and be very clear to emphasize what Jesus emphasizes. And this is one of those things that he emphasizes. So let it challenge you to be a more forgiving person as a disciple of Christ. Let me pray that you would do that. God, we are humbled when we realize how much you've forgiven us. We commit even this morning to seek further reconciliation and forgiveness. Um, pray that people would see this morning maybe ways that they have not been forgiving and that we would all just commit to just not hold things and, and, and sins against each other and to hold some bitterness or anger uh, in our interpersonal relationships. So um, I know this is a tricky topic. I know there's a lot that you say about it in your word, but thank you so much for all that you speak on it um, all throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament. I pray that we would uh, be good Christians and good followers and that uh, we'd be good children of yours and, and just really do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.